wrapping up here with uh, the 24th chapter. And you may be wondering where we're going to go to next after Luke's gospel. Well, there's a couple of things that I would like to talk about uh, after Luke's gospel. One is going to be the issue of that's facing our, our culture right now and also facing the church, which is the issue of homosexuality, same-sex marriage. Uh, I feel like the, I believe the church needs to be educated on what the Bible says about that and um, how we deal with that, because all of us are affected by it in some way or another. It's either affected us in our homes or um, in our workplace, um, uh, and we need to have a biblical response to it, a, a gracious biblical response to that, to that issue and know how to, how to be Christ-like in the midst of it. So we're going to talk about that probably for a few weeks. And then after that, we're probably going to go to an Old Testament book, a short book, to give you some hope, you know, that we can actually cover a book in a short amount of time. But, but I love the Old Testament, and, and I love the history of it. And, um, and, and, and most of us don't spend very much time in the Old Testament because we don't understand it very well. So uh, I want to be able to give you a, a, a good understanding of at least one of the books in the Old Testament, and then we'll see where we go from there. So Luke chapter 24 this morning, if you have your Bibles, let's stand. And we'll, we'll pick up in verse 25 this morning. Uh, I realize it's kind of out of context here, but I'll set the context um, uh, as we begin our study. Verse 25 begins with Jesus speaking. This is with the the, uh, two gentlemen who are on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they're headed home after the uh, Passover, after the crucifixion of Christ, and uh, they have lost all hope. He says to them, he says, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then they drew near to the village where they were going. He indicated that he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he broke bread, blessed the bread, broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked, while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord. Your word tells us that blessed is the man who, not, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in your law he meditates day and night. Lord, you say that he should be a man that is planted like a tree, like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its due season whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Lord, we ask that as we, we just want you to help us to be people of your word, to be grounded in your word. Lord, that you would lay a good foundation of your word in our lives, and that, Lord, that we would build upon that foundation as we continue to learn and to grow in your scriptures. Lord, we don't want to be people that are tossed to and fro. 
Lord, we want to go through life's difficulties and life's joys. Lord, as Jason prayed this morning, Lord, we want to be able to uh, say, Lord, uh, blessed is the name of the Lord. You, you give and you take away. But, Lord, it doesn't change who you are. So, Lord, ground us in your word, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You all can be seated. Most of us in here who are, um, you know, older, and I think the older we get, the more we realize this, that, that in life we're faced with many important decisions. And those decisions have uh, long-lasting impact on our lives. Young people this morning, in the coming years, you're going to have to make several important decisions. You're going to have to make some educational decisions, whether or not you're going to go to a two-year school, a four-year school, whether you're going to go to a trade school. Uh, maybe whether or not you're not going to go to school at all, you're just going to jump right into the workforce, or whether you're going to go into the military. But you've got some important decisions to make, educational decisions. You've got relational decisions to make. You know, you're going to, as you get older, you've got to decide who your friends are going to be, the people you're going to hang out with, who's going to, who's going to be that peer group, who you're going to let input into your life, who's going to, who you're going to let influence you. Uh, you're going to make decisions about who to date, who not to date. Uh, you'll, most of you will make decisions about who you're going to marry. Then you're going to make even bigger decisions about whether or not we're going to have children and how many children are we going to have, assuming the Lord opens the womb. And then you've also got financial decisions. You, you're going to make decisions about, you know, the kind of car I buy and how much money do I spend on that and uh, whether or not I buy a, a house or whether I rent an apartment and I save up money and what do I do with my excess money? Do I save it? Do I, do I blow it? Do I uh, you know, buy video games with it all or maybe just a little bit of it or, or do I you know, put some of it into a 401k, some type of retirement account? And those are all important decisions that you young people are going to be faced with. And already many of you are being faced with those decisions, and you're making those decisions. But there's an even, uh, there's a decision that's even more important than any of those. And that's the decision of, de of deciding where you're going to learn the things of God and where you're going to learn how to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a more important decision because it's not, not to minimize the other decisions, but they're temporal decisions. Yes, they have long-lasting impact on our lives, but they're temporal. They don't have eternal ramifications to them. But where you decide to plant yourself into a local church and to learn the Word of God and to learn how to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to serve his people and to fulfill his mission for the church, it's a way more important decision. You know, the, the tragedy for me, and I think for, for this age, is that it's becoming more and more difficult to find a good home church, a good local church to plant yourself in. You know, the focus in too many churches today is on everything but helping people to know 
God's Word. Uh, they just don't seem to think that uh, this book here, the, the Word of God, inspired by the Spirit of God, the book of redemption, the book about Christ, they, they just don't seem to think that it has much value in it or that it can maybe attract the crowd that they want to attract. I mean, to me, as you can see, we've spent almost four years in the book of Luke. I mean, you, you, you can't exhaust, uh, in, in our lifetime, we can't exhaust the Word of God. For eternity, we'll be learning about this book and about the Lord Jesus Christ. But yet, too many churches today, they don't think that that's the most important thing. They don't think the most important thing is to help people know who Christ is and why they need him, that he's the Savior and that we're sinners. One example of that here recently, there's a church in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida called Potential Church. I assume that they're not a church yet, but they're trying to still become a church. But Potential Church, they're doing a series currently titled Daredevil. That's, that's catchy. Daredevil, doing what others say is impossible. Now, that'll attract a crowd, no doubt, right? I mean, just that title. They're doing a whole series, several weeks on that series, Daredevil. And one of the things that they did to promote this series in their opening, in the opening day of the, of the series, Daredevil, they lit their pastor on fire. Listen, the day that we start doing those type of sermon series, that's exactly what the congregation should do. Light me on fire because I've, I, I'm, the, the Lord is done with me, okay? I just need to be put out of my misery and, and go home. I like what Spurgeon said, and this is, you know, a hundred years ago, Spurgeon. Spurgeon was, uh, you know, they were already they were dealing with entertainment in the church even then. This is not a new thing. He says, if entertainment is a Christian work, why did not Christ speak of it? And he gives this little paraphrase quote. He says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and provide amusement for those who do not relish the gospel. Because that's really the truth of it is. You're, 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 not, you're not ministering to the sheep. But you're entertaining the goats. It's exactly what we're doing. And here's a tragedy. As people come in here, Week in and week out. Their husbands are dying. Their marriages are under attack. They're having difficulty with their children. They're having difficulty in school. They're having difficulty with, with work, with finances, with relationships. Challenges with their grandchildren, heartaches, uh, cancer stricken in their bodies. And let me tell you what. You may take their mind off of that for a moment by some type of a stand-up comedy routine or some type of entertainment. And it may distract them for an hour. But then they go right back home the same way they came. And they don't know what to do with it. They're hurt. They're confused. They're disappointed. They're disillusioned. And, and the church has given them no help. They've just made them laugh for an hour or whatever it is or 
Watch people put them out, put their pastor out with a fire extinguisher. And it's no different in my home state of Kentucky. I mean, besides all the snake handling nonsense that they do back there, which is crazy enough. But the Kentucky Baptist Convention, and this is not a slam on Baptist churches at all, because not all Baptist churches are created equal just like any other church. So don't, don't, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here. I'm not making a dig against Baptist churches. The Kentucky Baptist Convention has been leading what it calls Second Amendment celebrations. Um, you all know what the Second Amendment is. Young people know what the Second Amendment is? The right to bear arms, and it doesn't mean to wear, you know, sleeveless shirts. The, the right to pack a gun, right? I mean, you can still wear your sleeveless shirts. You don't need the Second Amendment for that. The Kentucky Baptist is leading these, these Second Amendment celebrations where churches around the state give away guns as door prizes. And listen, I'm not here to promote or whatever gun rights. That's not, not what I'm about, and, and uh, that's, that's not my issue this morning. So they, they, they give away guns as door prizes to lure the unchurched in in hopes of converting them to Christ. I don't get the connection there. But they do. And also to lure them in to convert them to Christ, but also to increase the membership roles. And, and, I, and I like what they call it because I think this is probably accurate. They call it an, an outreach to rednecks. Well, that's, that fits Kentucky, and, I, and, and if I were still living there, I would probably go. <laughs> 1,300 people showed up earlier this month, and this is the first week in, in March. Uh, they, they showed up at Lone Oak Baptist Church in Paducah, Kentucky, which is like a little podunk town in western Kentucky. Uh, the, and, and they were given, the, those, all who came were given a free steak dinner. I'm going to tell you what, that will draw some people. Free steak, I don't know how they do it because most people in Kentucky don't have teeth, but they, they, offered, them, they offered them this. Free steak dinner and a chance to win one of 25 handguns, rifles, and shotguns. I'm t- in Kentucky, let me tell you what, a lot of people will show up for that. I mean, that's, that's redneck heaven. Steak and an opportunity to have a gun, man, oh man. So the church band gets up, they ditch the hymnal for that service, and instead play... Mustang Sally. I don't know if you knew me. Mustang Sally was an old R&B tune made famous by Wilson Pickett like in 1965. So that's what the, so this has nothing to do with the gospel, as you can tell. Uh, and, and I'll quote them. This is, these are not worship services. They're meant to be unintimidating to non-believers. The goal is to point people to Christ. I don't get the connection. The keynote speaker, Chuck McAllister, an ex-pastor, master storyteller, former Outdoor Channel show host, he says this, and I quote, he says, The day of hanging a banner in front of your church and saying that you're having a revival and expecting the community to show up is over. And I agree with that. You have, to, you have to know the hook that will attract people. And hunting is huge in Kentucky. So we get in there, we burp, we scratch, we talk about the right to bear arms and that kind of stuff. But it doesn't talk about the gospel. And, and the whole hitch, though, to being able to uh, you know, be a, be a, have a chance to win the raffle is that you have to sit through the entire service and the altar call, then the raffle is after that. So it's gimmicks. Gimmicks to entertain the goats, but it's void of the gospel. 
And I'm talking to the young people here this morning because, listen, we live in an entertainment-driven society. We, we, are, you know, we, we want to be entertained. We desire to be entertained. And, and you're going to have challenges to face as you get older. And where you're going to choose to call your, your, your church home. And we could go, I could go on and tell you story after story about silliness that takes place in churches out there. My own experience is this. Several years ago, BB, before Berean. So this was many years ago because we've been here for, what, nine years now. On one Sunday morning, I made the tragic mistake of we allowed our drama team at that time to do a skit on Sunday morning in place of preaching and teaching the Word of God. I'm sure some of you may remember that. And um, after one of the services, a lady came up to me and she just lit into me. And listen, I, I needed it. It was, it was a rebuke from the Lord. And she, she pointed her finger at me, just a little lady. She pointed her finger at me. She said, how dare you? How dare you put on a skit on Sunday morning service and not preach the word of God? Don't you know that people come in here on Sunday mornings and they're hurting from being in the world all week and living in this life? And you want to entertain us? with Listen, we never did that again. Now this woman... She was going through marriage difficulties. She, she had two uh, mentally and, and, and uh, physically uh, disabled children. Uh, she, she was going through the ringer. And she came there that morning, and she got no hope, no encouragement. She got no, no grounding in the Word of God, no direction. What she got was entertained. And God forbid that we become that kind of a church. You know, just as tragic young people as the entertainment-driven church is, too many church attendees, their mentality is consumer-driven. It's, it's, you know, what's in it for me? They're not, too many people who come to church, they're not concerned with God's truth. And I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they're looking at it, what's in it for me? I like what Stephen Sharnock said, an old Puritan preacher. He said, when we believe that we should be satisfied rather than God should be glorified, we put God below ourselves as though he has been made for us and not we for him. There is no greater blasphemy than using God as our servant, and there is no worse place to do it than in the realm of worship where we make the worship of God to end in ourselves rather than in God. Uh, That just sums up that it's all about me church it's not all about me it's all about the lord jesus christ and when people come to church when they come to meet with god's people and they come to be led in worship they don't need a bunch of me-centered songs they they need songs that are that that exalt the name of christ and we've worked hard over the years we repented of that many years ago of doing these low view of you know low view of God high view of man songs, and Jason works hard, and Eric has worked hard in the past on 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 making sure that we sing songs that that are doctrinally rich, theologically right. 
because we believe that the singing time can be just as instructive as the teaching time. Oftentimes you may leave here with a little tune in your brain more so than you will leave here with something that I said. And I say all this as a reminder that we not forget that, that, that the greatest service that we can render to anyone is to give them an understanding of the Scriptures. That's the mission of the church. And, and the day that we forget the mission of the church is the day that we need to go home and we just need to be done. God needs to, just needs to blow up the building The Lord said in Matthew 28, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the, the mission of the church. Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. We're to go out and to make disciples, and we're to teach people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Help them to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Help them know, how do I deal with my husband dying? How do I deal with this cancer? How do I deal with being a new parent? How do I deal with, with growing older? How, how do I deal with, with, this, with this issue that's come into my marriage and, and I think it's over? What does the Bible say about those things? That's what we're to help. We're to help people know what the Word of God says and help people to live for the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of those things. And when we help people do that, when the Word of God, when the truth of God's Word is embraced, it transforms lives. It, it helps people. It, it takes them from dis, despair to joy, from confusion to clarity, from, from discouragement to being filled with hope. And in our passage this morning, which we're finally getting to, we see this powerfully illustrated. As Jesus comes alongside two of his followers, they're discouraged, they're hopeless, they're, they're confused, and, and he gives them clarity, he gives them understanding about the truth of the Word of God. And the result is, is that they go from the depths of despair to the heights of joy because they've been grounded in the Word of God. So why are they confused and discouraged? Let me read those verses to you real quick. It says, Behold, verse 13, two of them, two of, two of the Lord's disciples who were there during Passover, and they saw Christ crucified, and they heard the women come back with a report that the tomb was empty, and they thought that it was just idle tales. They thought they were out of their minds. And so they leave Jerusalem, and they head toward a village called Emmaus, which is seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they talked together of all these things which had happened, so it was that while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained. This wasn't some type of human inability on their part, but this was more of a divine, uh, you know, restraint god didn't allow them to see that this was jesus they knew that somebody was walking with him talking with him but to them he was just a stranger and so jesus says to them what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad and then one of those whose name was cleopas answered and said to him are you kidding me you're coming from jerusalem are, are you the only stranger in jerusalem you have not known the things which happened there where have you been and Jesus said to them, he says, well, what things are you talking about? Tell me. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, word before God and all the people, how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We, we thought he was going to free us from our oppression and, uh, to Rome. 
He was going to come in, he was going to storm the fortress Antonio there at the Temple Mount, and he was going to, to take over, and he would eventually take, you know, go to Rome and take over for Caesar, and, 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 but he didn't. Besides this, today's the third day since these things happened. In other words, the guy, the guy that we put our trust in, our hope in, the guy that we thought was the Messiah was going to redeem us from our p- political oppression, he goes and gets himself killed. He's been dead three days. All of our hopes, dreams, gone. And when they did not find, and said, and said yes, verse 22, the certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. And they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us, they went to the tomb, talking about Peter and John. And they found it just as the women had said. It was empty. But... Him, they did not see. They were followers of Christ. And all their hopes were in him as Messiah. But their hopes were crushed when Jesus was crucified. And their discouragement and their, their, their confusion were generated by an ignorance or a misunderstanding of Scripture. It's not that they didn't believe the Scriptures. They, they did, but they misunderstood parts of it. They, they, they thought that he was going to come and redeem them. They, they got the redemption part right, that that's what the Messiah would do, but they didn't understand it was a spiritual redemption, not a redemption from Rome. And they didn't understand that he needed to suffer first, that he had to die. And all that confused them. And so they go home. They're, they're walking home hopeless, confused. We've just spent all this time and energy following this man, and now he's let us down. And I love the Lord. He doesn't just shake the dust off his sandals and, and say, you guys are idiots. I'm out of here. He doesn't, but he, he sees that they're confused. He doesn't go into a comedy routine He certainly doesn't light himself on fire. He doesn't say, hey, I hear about this church service. They're giving away guns. Let's go. But he helps them with their confusion. Notice what he says in verse 25. And the way that he helps them with their confusion is he gives them an understanding of the Scriptures. He says, them old foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered the things, these things and enter into his glory? So, so where does Jesus put the blame? He doesn't, you know, the failure, the, the failure to understand, he doesn't say it was the fault of the Old Testament. You see, they, they believed the Scriptures, and the Scriptures at that point were the Old Testament. They believed them. But they didn't understand much, so much about it. So he doesn't say, well, guys, I get it. I get why you're confused. I get why you misunderstand. I get why you're hopeless here. You know, the Old Testament, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, you know, you get bald. I mean, he, this guy beget, this guy beget, beget, beget. And you're like, I get it. I, I get it. I, I, yeah, what's the point? I don't read those chapters either. Why should you? You know, guys, I get it. The, real, the Old Testament's really hard to understand. 
All the genealogies will bog you down. And all those sacrifices and all that blood, oh my goodness, doesn't that just, it's just gruesome. I understand why you skip over it all. I understand why you're, why, why you misunderstood. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't lay the, the, the blame. The fault was not the Old Testament. The Old Testament doesn't lack clarity. You see, they understood enough of the Old Testament to know that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to redeem Israel. But what they failed to understand was that Christ had to suffer, that sin demands death. Redemption comes at a price, and Jesus is saying to them, guys, you read the Old Testament. You saw that the the Messiah was going to redeem. How could you miss that he also had to suffer for the sake of the sins of his people? That redemption comes at a price. And so, in verse 27, he says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the same things concerning himself. So he takes them through on this two-and-a-half, three-hour journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. He takes them through the Old Testament scriptures, and he expounds, he explains to them how the Messiah had to suffer. Guys, all you see is, you know, the, is the glory part. But you missed the fact that he had to suffer before he could enter into his glory. And we don't know. He doesn't, Luke doesn't tell us what he said to them. But we do know this. We do know that he began at Moses. And Moses penned the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And I would imagine that Jesus took them right to the first messianic promise back in Genesis chapter 3. You remember after Adam and Eve had sinned and and God is having this conversation. Well, really not a conversation. He's he's basically laying out some some discipline issues here, but he's he's speaking to the serpent and he's speaking to man and woman to Adam and Eve. And and I can imagine the Lord saying here, don't don't you remember guys the word of the Lord after Adam and Eve sinned, and how he began to speak to the serpent, and he began to speak to Adam and, Adam and Eve, that I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, between your seed and between her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Guys, that scripture speaks of me. I, I am the wounded seed of the woman who crushes the serpent's head. I had to be bruised. I had to suffer to reverse the effects of the curse. And I'm sure that he probably took him to Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, and how God graciously, because now man is separated from God because of his sin, and how he, he slays this innocent animal. The first death we see in the Scripture is after man and woman sin. Don't you remember, guys, that the result of sin is death? And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. I died, just as that that animal died to cover the sins of Adam and Eve, so too the Messiah had to die to cover the sins of his people. Probably took him to Genesis chapter 22 and 
probably talked to him about how, don't you remember how Isaac was, uh, Abraham took Isaac and up onto Mount Moriah and he was going to offer him as a sacrifice as God commanded him to. And, and, and as Abraham had the knife pulled up and as he was ready to plunge it into, into Isaac's body and to kill him, that the, that the Lord God stayed his hand and he said, Abraham, I provided a sacrifice. It's a ram caught in the thicket. Guys, don't you remember that? I am that ram caught in the thicket. I am the substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of my people. Probably took them to Exodus chapter 12 and reminded them about the Passover lamb and how his, the, 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 the blood was spattered over the doorposts and over, and, the, and, and, and every house that the blood of the lamb was, was, was applied to that the death angel passed over. And those who were inside the house escaped divine judgment. Guys, don't you know, I'm the Passover lamb. Only through me is there an escape from the wrath of God, from the divine judgment that sinners rightly deserve. Probably took them to Leviticus chapter 16. Guys, don't you remember the Day of Atonement? Don't you remember that on that day, once a year, when they sacrificed not just one goat, but two goats? Do you remember that? And one goat was slain on the altar and his blood was applied upon the mercy seat. Do you, do you remember that? But there was another goat too. And it was let go. And it was called the scapegoat. Guys, don't you know that I'm both of those? I am the scapegoat. But I'm also the one who died in your place. Probably took him to Numbers chapter 21. Don't you remember when the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness and and for those 40 years and they began to grumble and complain and because of their sin the lord sent these fiery serpents these poisonous snakes into the midst of them, and they began to bite them and the people were laying there on the ground and they were foaming at the mouth and they were dying because of their sin and and how moses was instructed to take a pole and set it up in the midst of the camp and he was to put a bronze serpent on that pole, fashion this bronze serpent, put it on the pole. And the people were told that if you look to the bronze serpent on the pole in the midst of the camp, that you would be healed from your snake-bitten sin condition. And all those who looked were healed. Guys, don't you know that I am the serpent on the pole? I'm the one who was lifted up in the midst of the camp on the cross of Calvary. For the sins of God's people. Surely he spent some time in the Psalms and he took them to Psalm 22. And don't you remember what the psalmist said? How they would pierce my hands and my feet. And I, I can count all my bones. They divide my garments and my clothing they cast lots for. And we know here that in verse 27 that he certainly took them to the prophets. I'm sure he took him to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, where he says, where he would have said, guys, don't you remember what Isaiah said? That, that the Savior would be wounded for man's transgressions. He would be bruised for man's iniquities. The chastisement for your peace was upon him. And by his stripes, you were healed. By all the wounds that he bore, the suffering, guys, you, you forgot the suffering. And the Old Testament is filled with the suffering of the Messiah. He had to suffer for the sake of the sins of the people. Without the suffering, there is no crown. Without the suffering, there is no salvation. There's no redemption. Probably took him to Jeremiah chapter 20. Don't you remember what Jeremiah prophesied? That the Messiah would be mocked and abused, 
probably, I would think he maybe took him to Jonah. Guys, you remember how Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of that great fish? How many days did you say it's been since your Messiah was in the tomb? Guys, I had to suffer. I had to die. I had to be buried before the resurrection. Well, how wonderful this must have been to get such a rich exposition of the Scriptures. And at this point, as he's expounding to them over this two-and-a-half, three-hour walk, the seven-mile journey, man, you can just, I mean, you can just picture it. Their, their engines are firing on all cylinders at this point. Their confusion is cleared up. They have understanding. They begin to have hope. And what is the source? Because here's the point I want to make this morning as I'm, as I'm going to stop with this. What, what is the source of their understanding? Is it, do, at this point, as he's expounding the Scripture to them, do they recognize, physically, do they recognize that they're walking and talking and having a conversation, they're having a sermon from Jesus? Do they recognize it at this point? No. Their eyes are still restrained. They still don't know who this guy is. But he's just expounded the Scriptures to them, and he's just given them an understanding that cleared up all their confusion. That's right, he did have to suffer. Well, we had it all wrong. Our hope was misplaced. And so the source of their understanding is a understanding of the is, is a is an accurate understanding of the scripture. It's the truth. The, their hope and their joy is anchored not in physically seeing Jesus. But their hope and their joy is anchored in the sufficiency of Scripture in understanding the truth of God's Word, having God's plan unfolded and explained to them. And that is the mission of the church. Not just what we do on Sunday mornings, not just what we do in our classrooms, not just what we do in our growth groups, but what we do as believers. Is, is Our mission is to help people understand the Word of God, to help them see who Christ is, why He had to go to the cross, what the cross accomplished, that he had to suffer before he entered glory. And our redemption, our salvation, the gospel is tied up in his suffering and in his resurrection. There is no good news if you don't tell the bad news first. The bad news is the wages of sin is death. The good news is Christ died in our place. That gives people hope. That gives them hope, resurrection hope for everything in their life. That we have a God who cares. He went to such great lengths to purchase his people. And he doesn't abandon his people, but he is with us. Scripture says he never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's with us even to the end of the age. That gives people hope and encouragement in the midst of their difficulties, in the midst of their their husbands dying, in the midst of their cancer, in the midst of their financial problems, in the midst of their, their marital problems, their kids' problems, whatever it is, that anchors us and it gives us hope. You and I aren't filled with hope by lighting people on fire. That's great fun. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for lighting people on fire. But at the end of the day, That won't bring encouragement to your soul.
So let me pray and ask Tim to come on up. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. And God, Lord, I, as I know, I've confessed my sin even before these people or the foolish things that I've done in the past. And Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you, Lord, for your continued growth in my life and the life of your people. Lord, may we not be, may we be people, Lord, that aren't satisfied in superficial things. But Lord, that we would only be satisfied in understanding your word, knowing you better, and learning how to live for you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.